Welcome to the Field Goals Podcast. I'm Brandon Schultz, and the Seahawks are coming off a disappointing 27-13 loss to the Arizona Cardinals at CenturyLink Field. Joining me to talk about it is Mookie Alexander of FieldGoals.com. Mookie, how you doing? Not good, Brendan. Not good. Uh, I can handle a loss, especially since it's Arizona. They seem to do this all the time. I cannot handle the injuries. The injuries were probably the story coming out of this game. I want to get into that, but I, I also I, I do have trouble a little bit handling this loss to the Arizona Cardinals because, you know, it's not just any loss to the Arizona Cardinals. It, it looked like I couldn't tell if the Seahawks were playing the 85 Bears defense or the 32nd ranked defense in 2019. I couldn't tell the difference. Yeah, it doesn't seem it, like no matter what version of the Cardinals defense they're playing, they have a really hard time at home at least, because we've seen like the 2014 team just light up that Cardinals defense. That was a much better one than the one they turned out today. But out of all the times that Arizona has beaten Seattle in Seattle, this was by far the worst performance they have ever turned in. Because truth be told, that 27-13 scoreline was flattering. If Murray wasn't injured, probably could have been a lot worse than that. Yeah, because he sat out a lot of the second half, and we saw Brett Hundley come in, go 4 of 9 for 49 yards. And uh, I think that leads me to my most frustrating thing about this game against the Cardinals is that Brett Hundley led the Cardinals on a 78-yard touchdown scoring drive in the fourth quarter and Russell Wilson against the 32nd-ranked defense in the NFL didn't. Yeah, that, I think that sums it up. It was pretty telling that Wilson, obviously you can't put it all on him or, or much of it on him, but he arguably got outperformed by both quarterbacks. Because, right. yeah, Hundley was four of nine, but he, he suddenly looked like one of the most dangerous scrambling quarterbacks we've ever seen against a Seahawks defense that could not have looked any sloppier trying to tackle him. And, yeah, not just the 49 yards passing, but he had 35 yards rushing. The defense, I actually think, held up pretty well the, those first few quarters. Not first few quarters, those few, first few series other than the 80-yard touchdown run. Right. Um, but there were just so many backbreaking plays that they gave up that even if they didn't necessarily lead to points, they took a lot of time off the clock. So to get within 20 to 13, you just needed one more stop. And instead you give up the, the game ending touchdown and for all intents and purposes. And I think they only forced one third down on that drive. I'm, I'm just looking at the drive. Yeah. The third and two at the Seattle 42. And that's when Hundley scrambled for 14 yards because they blew contain. So with the game on the line, the defense didn't even force multiple third downs out of Arizona's offense with a backup quarterback. You mentioned 35 yards for Hundley on six carries. Kyler Murray, 40 yards on six carries. So the difference between those two guys should not be that insignificant. I mean, they should be able to get to Hundley much quicker. And maybe they just didn't think that Hundley was going to run the ball like Kyler Murray. And uh, I have a hard time just with this defensive performance. And I know they are missing a lot of guys due to injury going into this game. You kind of knew that Al Woods being out, it was going to have an impact on their rush defense. I don't know if it w- if I would have guessed that it would have had the kind of impact that would have allowed the Arizona Cardinals to get 253 yards on the ground. Now, that did include an 80-yard run. But even if you take that out, I mean, you're talking about 170 yards on the ground, and, and that's unacceptable for this defense. And then Jadivian Clowney out, so two of your top run defenders out in this game. And Shaquille Griffin sits out, Quandre Diggs is out, and we saw in that 80-yard run, Lano Hill uh, taking a bad angle on the ball that allows that big run, and you know, not to mention all the other guys that missed too. 
Yeah, uh, this run defense has quietly not been much better than last season's run defense because I felt like a good chunk of this offseason was focused on trying to fix the run defense because Carroll, as we know, he loves to focus everything on the running game. Uh, Establish the run on offense and then stop the other team's running game as much as possible. They've given up 4.6 yards of carry under 22nd at DVOA, and it's going to drop pretty sharply after Sunday's performance. But, you know, Arizona's quietly built up one of the better rushing attacks in the league over the past several weeks, and the Kenyon Drake trade has obviously worked wonders for them. It just feels like we've not seen the Seahawks run defense get gashed as much only because teams have been willing to throw it a lot more than they have been, you know, just running it. Uh, entering this game, opposing quarterbacks had thrown it 549 times and there were 324 rushing attempts, and that includes scrambles. But that is a pretty lopsided pass run ratio compared to what the Seahawks do, of course, and probably what other teams do just in general. Uh, but yes, Arizona's running game, which was not a huge factor the first time. This time, it came out strongly. And even without the 80-yard touchdown run, Drake was just going forward so consistently. Seattle was just unable to to stop him for no gain or stop him for a tackle for loss. They only had three the whole game uh, compared to 11 for the Cardinals' defense. So when you're not forcing Arizona to get behind and down in distance, you're creating more second and manageables and third and manageables. And uh, Arizona took advantage more often than not, whereas Seattle, it felt like they were in third and 15 way too often. And then even third and shorts, they completely bungled. Yeah, only 15 completions through the air for the Cardinals. Kyler Murray had 11, Hundley had four. And yeah, 40 carries on the ground overall. David Johnson had two, Christian Kirk had a couple. Uh, so they, they seem to solve the problem of the jet sweep in this game, at least. I guess if we're going to look at positives, uh, we, we can point to that. Yeah, at both ends. I swear David Moore got a jet sweep for 19 yards, and that might be the biggest game that they've had on that play uh, for, what, three years since Tyler Lockett's jet sweep touchdown run against Carolina. I, and then they never ran it again. <laughs> exactly. You don't, you know, when, on a day when Tyler Lockett has one catch on eight targets, you would have thought that they would have run Lockett in some jet sweep action or a pop pass thing, but nope. Uh, It just felt like every play was taking forever to develop. And then the quicker one still didn't matter because Chandler Jones was usually in the backfield. Eight targets to Tyler Lockett, though. Only one reception for 12 yards. Travis Homer was the one leading in receptions today. Six receptions on eight targets. Jacob Hollister, five receptions for 64 yards. He had the most yards. And uh, a big reason why Travis Homer was getting so much uh, attention was the fact that Chris Carson goes down to injury, a hip injury. And then C.J. Proceis comes in and he follows up Carson's injury by fracturing his arm and uh, and he's going to be out for the season now. Yeah, it is kind of fitting, unfortunately, for Proceis that he's going to start and end his Seahawks career with an injury that puts him on IR for the umpteenth time. Uh, but that was a heck of a hit. Buda Baker, oh, yeah. uh, whom I, I really wanted to be on the Seahawks and it ultimately ended up in Arizona, but... That was a hard hit, and it's not necessarily just Procise being injury-prone. It's just that hit probably could have messed up a lot of running backs. Uh, Carson is the bigger story by far. Like Procise was not going to be a major factor the rest of the season, he, even with Penny going down. They weren't going to give Procise like, this advanced role that Penny was starting to get. So with no Carson, it leaves you with Homer, who was the fourth-string running back and somebody that they were just kind of refusing to even put in the offense up until they absolutely had to. He's been mostly there on special teams. He didn't look out of place or anything. I certainly think he he runs pretty hard and he's got a good burst to him, but that's not somebody who's likely to get 10, 15 carries or, or you know, 20 touches and be a starting running back, certainly not this quickly. So they got 
a, a real problem on their hands in terms of what they want to do at the running back position over the next couple of games. So, you know, the Niners next week and then whomever they play in the playoffs. You got Xavier Turner on the practice squad, and he didn't look too bad in preseason, but that is preseason. Uh, they had looked at Alfred Blue and Robert Turbin prior to this week, and they gave him both workouts. And Turbin, of course, is a former Seahawk. Uh, just saying, Marshawn Lynch, free agent. <laughs> And he was in the building last week, uh, maybe not for any kind of official visit, but enough of a visit that uh, I guess because he's not with the team, they had to report uh, the fact that he did visit. But maybe he needs to come in and, and have an official look now. A foreshadowing visit, if you will. <laughs> or, you know, can can the XFL loan Kristen Michael over to the Seahawks so we can give him like his 90th chance to learn this offense? I don't know. The, you know, the XFL, they seem pretty tight with letting their guys loose from those XFL contracts and going to the NFL. And, uh, you know, it's... Is Kristen Michael going to be that much better than uh, Travis Homer? I, I I don't think so. <laughs> no. Uh, apparently, C.J. Anderson is also somebody there. Oh, yeah. That's another name exciting. I saw. And you know what? That, that's not too bad. He certainly, uh, he certainly put on the pounds the last time we saw him when he was with the Rams. And then I think Detroit cut him uh, this earlier this season. But, you know, Anderson was pretty good for the Rams on a Rams team that had a very good offensive line. This Seahawks offensive line, when healthy, is a liability they are really banged up, so I doubt Anderson is going to be that much more effective. Well, and that's what I was going to go to next. You know, Mookie, the as much of the the running back situation seems to be an issue. You know, it's the offensive line. The fact that Dwayne Brown was out in this game and he's going to have knee surgery. So, you know, the earliest Pete Carroll made it sound like he was going to be back as maybe in three weeks. It's a, he said it wasn't a major surgery, but even if you're looking at three weeks, I mean, where are you? <laughs> I, I don't know if this team can make it three weeks if they're putting up the type of offensive performance that they did against the Cardinals. They're definitely not going to be able to beat a team like the San Francisco 49ers. Can they get by whoever wins in the NFC East? You know, that's a possibility. But uh, then I, I still don't think of, of any surgery that Brown would be able to come back for even a divisional round at that point. Yeah, whenever Pete Carroll gives a timetable estimate, I normally add a few weeks to it. Right. Like, especially whenever he says minor surgery, uh, I think we've we've been through the through that story enough times to know that what Pete says is normally the optimistic Pete viewpoints, and then reality sets in. It's a lot worse than that. So we know that Brown is not going to play next week, at the very least. Jamarco Jones was way out of his league against Chandler Jones, and we should have expected as such. And they should have been giving him a lot more help than they actually did. Um, Potty's got a, a stinger that he played through, so at least Posick is back to, to you know, mitigate uh, that problem because I think that Posick was actually playing quite well in preseason and some of the snaps he played in the regular season before he got hurt. But left tackle is a problem. Uh, Jamarco, he's not going to fare any better against Nick Bosa or any of those other 49ers pass rushers. And then you have George Fant, who has alternated between being the extra offensive lineman and a tight end. And there's a good chance he's going to get bulldozed too. So they will have to game plan significantly around the fact that they're not going to have their normally reliable left tackle uh, most likely for the rest of this season. And that's also a big deal in the long term because Brown is in his mid-30s and they got to figure out what they're going to do at that position, what they're going to do at center, especially talking about the state of this offensive line today and how poorly they perform. We could see a very revamped offensive line in 2020 if we really want to go far ahead given the Fetty's free agency. I think 
Fluker is only signed a one-year deal, and even so, there's never a guarantee he's back next season. There, there could be some changes, and I'm certainly not against it. I know continuity is one thing, but continuity of a bad thing, uh, I don't think anybody can get behind. Yeah, that's definitely something we're going to be looking at into the offseason. But let's talk about game plan, Mookie, and we'll talk about it right after this. Talking with Mookie Alexander of Field Goals following the Seattle Seahawks loss to the Arizona Cardinals in Week 16. Uh, I guess another positive is uh, we got to find out that the game is flexed into primetime next week against the San Francisco 49ers. Although maybe after this week's performance, uh, that might not be something we're looking forward to as much. Yeah, can they unflex this game? Uh, is there any better game that they can put on? Because I am fearing. Remember when they lost 42 to 7 to the Rams a couple of seasons ago and like a week or two weeks before they had lost KJ Wright's Bobby Wagner or was, was gimpy and he had some sort of injury that he played through and he played poorly. Right. Um, this has got that feeling that it could be kind of like that game. But you, you never know. The Seahawks, usually when they lose the following week, they perform much better. Now, unfortunately, that 42-7 example I just cited, that was an instance where they played much worse after a loss. That was the Jacksonville game, then the Rams game the week after. But still, it's prime time. The Seahawks in prime time have normally been outstanding. They've never lost a December uh, prime time home game under Russell Wilson. But it feels a little different this year with the way they've played at home because they're four and three with a negative point differential, and they are minus forty in point differential in the first halves of home games this year. This does not feel like the Seahawks home dominance from twenty twelve to. 2016 uh, and I already wrote that since 2017 they are 14 and 9 at home which it's not bad but it is middling I mean it, it's it's closer to average than it is the top of the league compare that to 2012 to 2016 where there are something like 32 and 6 and that's including the playoffs so uh, the, the home field mystique that the Seahawks fans have been used to for the longest while even for some of the bad seasons it has not been there and I can't explain it but I guess the best explanation I could come up with is since 2017, the Seahawks have been a good team, but they are not been a great team. And I think great teams take advantage of home field a lot better than just merely good teams. There's a lot more variance once you start to uh, get get a little bit lower in the quality. Yeah, the difference between going four and four at home and five and three at home based on the game against the 49ers. Uh, that just feels like such a big swing. And, you know, I heard that caveat that you put in there with Russell Wilson in prime time in December. You know, two weeks ago, we were talking about how the Seahawks were undefeated in prime time in December. And now after the loss to the Rams, now you have to say in prime time in December at home. We're getting so many more qualifiers onto this now. Yeah, we're running out of qualifiers, and that's because a lot of the stuff that the Seahawks used to be great at during the glory years, I guess you can say, up to the 2016 season effectively, because that's the last time that they won't won a playoff game. Uh, they have not been there over these past three seasons. And if they lose the division, and at this point, I'm kind of expecting it, is it really the worst thing in the world if they got to go on the road, likely at Philadelphia? And, and then they got to go presumably to New Orleans or San Francisco and they got to do the hard route because they're seven and one on the road. And it seems like their best performances have been away from CenturyLink Field. And in fact, I think they have a better away record since 2017 than they do a home record, which is insane to think about because I remember in the home years, winning on the road was an utter chore for this team. 
Yeah, the, that's why I think we all have that anxiety over the 10 a.m. Pacific starts. Like it still lingers to this day, even after all these these last couple of years of uh, Pete Carroll going and and showing how this team can get the win on the East Coast now for for a couple of years. That's completely gone away. And uh, yeah, maybe this team just does need to be a road warrior type team. But uh, things about the game plan are going to have to change. And going into this game, you know, it's it's hard for me to say that the Seahawks just weren't prepared for this game because they came into it and they looked so good on that first drive, driving down to, you know, to a, an early touchdown, getting up front after a three and out to the Cardinals. So it it looked like how I was going to expect this game to go, that they were just going to be able to drive down the field on the Arizona Cardinals defense. But after that, it looked like they had no answer for Chandler Jones in this game. He finishes with four sacks. Uh, he had two tackles for a loss. He had two forced fumbles in this game. And uh, one of those was on David Moore after that, uh, their first drive in the second half. It just, you talked about George Fant, and I, I just, I can't even remember Fant being in the game. And if they even gave uh, some help to Jamarco Jones on the left side of the line. Well, they certainly could have rolled out Wilson a lot more than they did instead of keeping keeping him in the pocket. Yeah. It felt like a lot of the issues on offense today were a matter of execution um, because this was an, one of those weird Seahawks games because we get on them for the longest while for starting slowly and not having good opening drives. Well, this is three weeks in a row, essentially, because I'm going to include the Rams game, but they've had a pretty good opening drive. They had a field goal against the Rams. Could have been a touchdown if the, the screen pass to Carson had been uh, less rushed. They had an opening drive touchdown against Carolina and then an opening drive touchdown today. But it's very rare that we have seen the Seahawks offense had a good opening drive and then just totally shut off for the rest of the afternoon. But it, it, Wilson was under duress so often. It didn't feel like the quick passing game was, was clicking. And then the screen passes, as usual, were just not uh, very well executed. The running game, I think Schottenheimer's play calling, that's about as bad as it's been all year because the third and one with Procise in the backfield, and that's before Carson we knew was definitely hurt. I knew that was a pass as soon as Procise was in the backfield, but I expected them to go for it on fourth and one. And I know that people listening to this podcast and just Seahawks fans in general had to have been peeved when fourth and one at the Arizona 35, it's a tie ball game. I would go for it. But if you're going to kick the field goal and the clock's winding down and Jason Myers isn't sure about the alignment or whatever, call timeout. Don't take the delay a game and punt it. And uh, even though Arizona didn't score uh, on the ensuing possession, it still felt like they coached this game conservatively from the start and really didn't get out of it for the rest of the game. It, it just felt like they were going through the motions in ways we've not seen out of a lot of other Seahawks teams. Yeah, and after that, they did pin them down on the one-yard line. The Cardinals were able to get out of it at that point. But yeah, the, you, you brought up the idea that Jason Myers was worried about the alignment. That came up in the Pete Carroll press conference after the game that it wasn't the plan to go out there and take a delay a game. Uh, the plan was to go out there and kick, and we did see Myers make a 50-yarder later on in the game. So we, we know they had the distance there. It's just that uh, Pete Carroll was saying that there was an alignment issue, but still, Take the take the time out and uh, and then go for it or decide to to go for it on fourth and one and for to go for it on fourth and one in that situation being on the thirty five yard line I, I would expect him to go for it in that situation I was surprised that Pete didn't even with all of the talk this year about Pete being conservative that felt like the type of situation to go for it in 
it seems like he's doubled down on being conservative. It's like he's gotten progressively worse over the last few years. I don't know if Super Bowl 49 broke him or something. It just seems like every time we expect a normal coach to go for it on fourth and short, he ends up either calling a timeout and changing his mind or just going the conservative route outright. And what made that particular call much worse is the fact that Cliff Kingsbury went for it on fourth and two in Seattle's 47, and they easily got it because Ugo Amadi blew his assignment. So you have to trust your offense, in, even on a bad day uh, like the one they had. But you know, up to that point, it wasn't a bad day. They'd scored on the previous possession. They were moving the ball well in the second possession. You have to trust your MVP caliber quarterback, although that MVP thing is out the door now. Trust your offense to get a yard. And not doing that to me is so dispiriting because – the, the the trust that Carroll has in his defense, it might have been warranted a few years ago when they were constantly the number one scoring defense in the league. But this defense, especially an undermanned defense, has not earned that trust one bit. But Carroll's a defensive-minded coach, and for as long as he is the head coach of Seattle, uh, we're going to have to live with that. Well, and really, that's the one field goal that I had the most problem with out of all of them. You know, because the the one at the start of the fourth quarter the 30 yard kick, you know, they go for, uh, they, I, it sounded like Pete in the press conference that they were going to run it on third down and then go for it on fourth down. But because, uh, it was, um, it was Homer that got shut down for a three yard loss in that situation. That's why they decided to kick. I didn't even have a problem with it necessarily in that situation because we saw it get to 20 to 10. Then they get a 51 yarder on the next drive with 10 minutes left at that point only a touchdown down was still 10 minutes on the clock. It felt like plenty of time for this team to mount the, their usual fourth quarter comeback and, uh, and they were going to be in the game, but then Arizona able to go on that 78 yard drive and Kenyon Drake gets in with the three yard touchdown at the end. And, and then it was over after that, essentially. Yeah. That third and three with Homer, that is one of the worst calls that shot. I think has ever made <laughs> to the left side of the line. When you have guys injured, and, uh, yeah, that's where you decide to go with it. Yeah. Let, let me put my four string running back who has never had multiple carries in an NFL game. Uh, you know, let him run on the fourth side of the, the left side of the line with your backup tackle. who have been struggling all day and your starting guard. Who's got a stinger, uh, that had disaster written all over it. In fact, that red zone drive after the block field goal and shout out to Rasheem green, who's week by week managing to make at least one impact play. That's pretty encouraging. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, that red zone possession was ridiculous. They're down 13. They should have been a lot more aggressive instead of running Homer on first down, a check down to Homer on second down, I believe. And then you run Homer again on third down. That should have been, you know, at least take an end zone shot. Right. And instead they ended up getting three out of that. And that kind of felt like a defeat at that point. Uh, so, you know, the last field goal I was fine with. So you're, you're down 10 and fourth and 10 is, is too steep and too risky. Just kick the field goal. And that's pretty rich that they, kicked it from 50-something in the fourth quarter, and yet Myers still ended up not kicking it from 56 in the first quarter. Right. <laughs> like the, the decision-making was just totally head-scratching. And that's been the theme out of a lot of these, really all of these Seahawks losses, is the decision-making went down multiple scores. It doesn't feel like there's a lot of urgency out of Seattle, even when they know they have to score as many points as possible if they want to get back into the game. But at the same time, you kind of excuse it, too, because in... So many of those games, they do end up coming back in the fourth quarter. I guess the multiple score games you're looking at, you know, the Baltimore Ravens game and the New Orleans Saints game, and they are able to get it close in the end. 
a frustrating day overall, frustrating on third down. You know, you talked about execution. They certainly couldn't execute on third down. Only one of 12 on third downs in this game. Yeah, and then one of the conversions that would have been a conversion was David Moore catching it. Nice slant pass by Wilson, and then Moore ends up fumbling it. And my goodness, I have never seen a team fumble as much as this as, as this one from its receivers. Yeah. Um, Seattle has historically been very good with protecting the ball, but this year, the most turnovers they've ever had in the Wilson era, I think that's 20 now. They've only had two turnover-free games all season. And for Moore, this is essentially two fumbles in three weeks because he muffed a punt against the Rams. The Seahawks offense just does not have the horses really to be a serious contender. And I think that's why they picked up Josh Gordon in the first place before, of course, the suspension. Uh, when you're relying on Moore and Turner as your, your number three and number four receivers, it, it's a really tough ask. And I think one of the key things about the Seahawks offense struggling significantly more often than not over the last several weeks, it feels like Will Disley was a lot more valuable to this offense uh, than, than we might have thought. Because other than the Buccaneers game, and I guess the Panthers game for the most part last week, it doesn't feel like the offense has really been that great. And Disley, even though Hollister has been more than fine, he's been a pretty good receiving tight end, Disley seems to be the Zach Miller replacement that the Seahawks have been longing for. And you could tell the chemistry between Wilson and Disley was just clicking. It was on the money. And ever since he went down, they've had to change up a lot of things. And through all of these other injuries, uh, it's been a it's been tough sledding for this offense. But they've also not had a game like this where they played a bad defense and then got beaten up by the bad defense. I mean, Arizona uh, had been really just one of the worst defenses in the league on a consistent basis last season and into this season. But as we said earlier at the, at the start of this podcast it doesn't matter what cardinals defense they trot out there it's like the seahawks offense will normally get several sacks and several sacks taken and struggle to score well let's close it out here moki because uh, the struggles you know you have to look at russell wilson and 16 to 31 116 yards sacked five times he has the one touchdown pass to nick Ballore. And, you know, not able to connect with DK Metcalf in this game, only the one pass to Tyler Lockett. I see a lot of people out there asking, you know, is is Russell Wilson potentially hurt? He was asked that in the press conference. He said his ankle got landed on a little bit, but Russell did not look right in this game, even on a couple times where he's trying to escape the pocket and he looked like he was going to try and run down the field and he ended up running sideways. And, you know, he finishes with two runs for two yards. It's just uncharacteristic the way that Russell Wilson was acting out there and even with knowing that Dwayne Brown was out I I can understand that to a certain extent but after that first drive it looked like as soon as he dropped back to pass he was expecting pressure and there were no it kind of goes back to that game plan issue there were no outlet receivers to really throw to they had the one big play to Chris Carson where he had the catch and run where he was the underneath the receiver got 20 yards on the play but after that with all the pressure they were getting they had they had nowhere to go with it yeah um you know with the offensive line they were not terrible against Atlanta or Tampa Bay or even Baltimore and Baltimore blitzed them a ton and they didn't even give up any sacks but recently it's just been like meet at the quarterback and that's really worrisome because then Wilson ends up being quite skittish in the pocket and understandably so his hesitancy to run uh, is an unpleasant development because one of the things that has made Russell Wilson such a dynamic and great quarterback to watch is his ability to improvise is his ability to scramble for big yards when they need to but I've not seen him keep on a read option in 
what a, a month and a half basically mm-hmm. when he does run he looks slower i mean look at the speed of kyler murray and the speed of russell wilson now murray is quite quick but we saw 2012 wilson and wilson was quite fast and he could rip off big runs of 50 60 yards on occasion or you know 20 something yards and then slide safely but uh it, it almost feels like ever since schottenheimer got hired they've been trying to drill out the tendency to scramble at the side of pressure from Russell Wilson and keep him in the pocket as much as possible. And it might be to his own detriment. Like he's clearly a much better pocket passer than he used to Mm -hmm. be, but at the same time, he's a much less effective scrambler and Seattle's offense thrives on some of those chaotic moments. And we haven't seen a whole lot of those this year. And Wilson, yeah, he might be a little more hurt, more uh, injured than he's let on because he has been on the injury report a couple of times this season. But in general, I would love to see running Russ again because when he was keeping on those read options, it changed how defense is operated. And now every time it looks like a read option, I know he's handing it off. He won't keep it. And his speed isn't quite there, but he can still escape up the middle just like any other quarterback can. And on a couple of occasions, it looks like he's wanting to run towards the line of scrimmage and then he backs out. Yeah. So I don't know if he's not trusting his own speed, if he's just wanting to make the right play and, and, and wanting to keep the play alive by throwing. But, um, I don't know what's going on on that front. I do know that after a torrid start to the season, Wilson has cooled off considerably, and it's it's not going to get any easier with the 49ers defense. And I know the Niners defense has been getting picked apart in recent weeks, but their pass rush is pretty much exactly what Seattle struggled with for a long time. And when they do get into the playoffs, Philadelphia's got a fearsome pass rush. Uh, if they get a first round by, you could see a rematch with Minnesota, for example. And we know Minnesota's got a, a dangerous pass rush. So they've got a lot of things to fix. Um, we, we can't be totally doom and gloom with, with all these injuries. Uh, but it's because of the injuries that I think we're all feeling a little bit down because it happens every year, doesn't it? Every time this team plays Arizona, somebody of importance goes down for a long term. And I guess uh, to end it on a high note, I suppose, is that fact that they still have that chance at a first round buy. And, you know, I have to think that maybe played a part in this game a little bit because it was curious to me hearing Pete come out in the postgame press conference and saying that they were still playing for the division title. A guy like Pete Carroll, who says, you know, always a, a championship opportunity one week at a time. At the very beginning of the press conference, he was already saying that this team was playing for the division title next week in San Francisco. And it just it just seemed early to me to hear him say something like that. But uh, it, it made me think that it had an impact on the way this team played. Yeah, because this game was functionally meaningless in terms of the NFC West race. Yeah. Now, it probably killed their first round by hopes, you know, depending on what happens with Green Bay and Minnesota. But there's still a chance they can get the number two seed, which is hardly the worst thing in the world. I think we would love a first round by just so that they can go a week without any injuries. We know we know that can happen and they get a week off, they can all heal up and then suit up for a home playoff game in the divisional round. But it, I guess I'm not as upset over the loss and even with the poor performance because I know that if it just takes one win, one win over San Francisco and your division champions and possibly you get a first round by and hey, it's the playoffs. The Seahawks haven't won a playoff game in three years. I'm sure that they would love to end that uh, I guess you can call it a drought. And it, it really is anybody's race in the NFC. It, it could be a lot worse. You could be the Dallas Cowboys and you could have won the NFC East on Sunday and instead you scored nine points with your supposed elite offense. There we go, Seahawks fans. At least we're not the Cowboys. I, I think that's a good place to end it. 
Yes, it is. How about them Cowboys? Mookie Alexander of Field Goals. Make sure and check out his work at fieldgoals.com. He has his winners and losers article up uh, uh, appropriately titled this week, Losers and More Losers. Yeah, I, mean, I, I did give a tip of the cap to some people like Jacob Hollister and and um, uh, Rasheem Green. Nick Ballor. And, we, we saw yeah, we, there's Ballor. a Nick Ballor sighting in this game. <laughs> Yeah, Nick Ballore sighting. Yes, the fullbacks still do matter in this league. Uh, I, I'm trying to think of who else. I gave Travis Homer a nice tip of the cap for his performance on emergency notice. And yeah. uh, Michael Dixon, he had some nice punts in this game, yeah. Yeah, who would have thought that Jason Myers was the one guy we couldn't freak out about today? <laughs> Mookie, thanks for coming on and uh, recapping this this tough game. To uh, you know, Not a lot of people want to come on after a, a loss and, and talk about it, so thanks for joining me. And uh, looking forward to more of your work and uh, leading up to this game against the 49ers, de facto NFC West championship. Tune in at fieldgoals.com and uh, follow Mookie on Twitter. Follow the show on Twitter. Subscribe sbnation.com slash NFL podcast. And we'll be back later this week talking more Seahawks.